Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussion Podcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $3 a month or $25 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Today we're going to tell the story of Lucy Walker. This story has been told before. Lindsay Hansen Park on Year of Polygamy tells the story. But I want to tell it again because there are some details in some context that I think is crucial to putting the right meaning on this story that I don't think has been told before in one place. This story, I, like, I, you, you just, the moment you think you know everything about Mormonism, all of a sudden you read some detail and it takes you off to reading a website or a paper or a book and then you learn something incredibly new and fascinating and sadly in this case troubling. I will be borrowing heavily from Brian Hale's website, another website, wivesofjosephsmith.org, Wikipedia, I've got some audio we'll use. In fact, I think I might have Lucy Walker sharing her testimony. And so stay tuned for that. Lucy Walker was born on April 30th, 1826 in Peacham, Vermont. She was the fourth child, four of ten, fourth child of John Walker and Lydia Holmes Walker. Again, they had ten kids. In 1832, her father was baptized into the church. Her mother was baptized two years later in 1834, and Lucy joined in 1835. The family made their way to Missouri to follow the saints, and their stay there was short. By the spring of 1841, the Walker family had settled in in Nauvoo, Illinois. Lucy's mother, Lydia Holmes Walker, contracts malaria shortly after they get settled in. And less than a year later, On January 15th, 1842, Lydia Holmes Walker passes away from malaria, leaving 10 children and her husband a widow. Lucy wrote about this time, quote, 10 motherless children and such a mother, the youngest not yet two years old. What were we to do? My father's health seemed to give way under this heavy affliction. She then recounts that the prophet came to our rescue. He said, If you remain here, Brother Walker, you will soon follow your wife. You must have a change of scene, a change of climate. You have just a family as I could love. My house shall be their house. I will adopt them as my own. For the present, I would advise you to sell your effects. Place the little ones with some kind friends. And the four eldest shall come to my house and be received and treated as my own children. And if I find the others are not content or not treated right, I will bring them home and keep them until you return. I wrung my hands in the agony of despair at the thought of being broken up as a family and being separated from the loved ones. But said the prophet, My home shall be your home, 
eternally yours. Lucy recounts that her father intimated that these two years of him being on a mission would pass by quickly and that with renewed health he would return and make us a home where we might be together again. The prophet and his wife introduced us as their daughters. Every privilege was accorded us in the home. Every privilege within reach was ours. So you see the scene. Joseph has sent the father out on a mission. Joseph wants the four oldest children to come live with him, and he promises to take care of them as his own children. He refers to the Walker girls as his daughters. When Lucy moves in, she is only 15 years old. And while living in the Smith home, Lucy remembers, quote, In the year 1842, President Joseph Smith sought an interview with me and said, I have a message for you. I have been commanded of God to take another wife, and you are the woman. My astonishment knew no bounds. This announcement was indeed a thunderbolt to me. He asked me if I believed him to be a prophet of God. Most assuredly I do, I replied. He fully explained to me the principle of plural or celestial marriage, said this principle was again to be restored for the benefit of the human family, that it would prove an everlasting blessing to my father's house. What do you have to say? Joseph asked. Nothing, Lucy replied. How could I speak or what would I say? Joseph encouraged her to pray. Tempted and tortured beyond endurance, she said, until life was not desirable. Oh, that the grave would kindly receive me, that I might find rest on the bosom of my dear mother. Why? Why should I be chosen from among thy daughters? Father, I am only a child in years and experience. No mother to counsel. No father near me to tell me what to do in this trying hour. Oh, let this bitter cup pass. And thus I prayed in the agony of my soul. Joseph told Lucy that the marriage would have to be secret, but that he would acknowledge her as his wife, quote, beyond the Rocky Mountains, unquote. He then gave Lucy an ultimatum. It is a command of God to you. I will give you until tomorrow to decide this matter. If you reject this message, the gate will be closed forever against you, Lucy said. She continued, This aroused every drop of scotch in my veins. I felt at this moment that I was called to place myself upon the altar, a living sacrifice, perhaps to brook the world in disgrace and incur the displeasure and contempt of my youthful companions, all my dreams of happiness blown to the four winds. This was too much. The thought was unbearable. Now, bearing the burden of her own eternal salvation and that of her family, and with a deadline approaching, Lucy prayed more fervently for an answer. She couldn't sleep the entire night. Now, I'm going to stop here, because what's about to happen is that Lucy is going to have a spiritual experience. And for an Orthodox believing member, that's enough to be okay and comfortable with what has happened. But I want to caution people, like do your research. Go online and read about what happens when someone experiences sleep deprivation. Lucy was up the entire night before. Don't think for a second she wasn't. 
She said that she was tempted and tortured beyond endurance until life was not desirable. She said no mother to counsel, no father near to tell me what to do in this trying hour. Do you think she slept that night? And then the next day Joseph gives her the ultimatum. I will give you until tomorrow to decide this matter. If you reject this message, the gate will be closed forever against you. Think about the pressure that's being applied in this moment. She says she couldn't sleep the entire night. Just before dawn, and with Joseph's deadline approaching, she says, quote, I received a powerful and irresistible testimony of the truth of the marriage covenant called celestial or plural marriage. So she gets her answer. She says, quote, I afterwards married Joseph as a plural wife and lived cohabitated with him as such. What would that answer have looked like? What was the answer that she got? Could it have been something like this? I've been searching for, for a witness of this work and of this church and, and just tonight I got my witness and it's burning within my soul how important this work is and how true it is. I know it is. And it's hard to believe that just a year ago I was in high school and now I'm in a plural marriage and struggling. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is the Lord's work, that I have finally found it. I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Was that Lucy Walker in her bedroom after 48 hours of not sleeping? No. That was a young lady, a member of the true and living church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a break-off of our church in Manti, Utah. That's a young lady who's bearing testimony in the same way that we as Latter-day Saints bear testimony telling you that she was encouraged to get a witness of the principle because she has been commanded to enter plural marriage. And after seeking that spiritual confirmation, she receives it. And yet, as an Orthodox Latter-day Saint, we would immediately dismiss her experience as not valid. And is it any different than the experience that Lucy Walker had? And in some ways, perhaps Lucy being deprived of sleep, having her mind and heart wrenched as it was weighed down with what she was being commanded to do. One need not look very far to look at what people will say or do or believe or see or think when they are operating under great stress and operating with very little sleep. And that's the experience of Lucy Walker. Lucy married Joseph on May 1st, 1843. At the time, Emma was in St. Louis buying supplies for the Nauvoo Hotel. Lucy remembers, Emma Smith was not present and she did not consent to the marriage, which by the way, violates section 132. She did not know anything about it at all. Of the relationship, Lucy said, quote, it was not a love matter, so to speak, in our affairs. At least on my part, it was not. But simply the giving up of myself as a sacrifice to establish that grand and glorious principle that God had revealed 
to the world. When Lucy was asked later on in life, did you live with Joseph Smith as his wife? She answered, he was my husband, sir. And so while the apologist and others within orthodoxy will be resistant to letting their mind be wrapped around the idea that this relationship was sexual, I think Occam's razor, the evidence, the story, the details, all of it point to that being the case. It was not a love matter, so to speak, so to speak, so to speak in our affairs. At least not on my part, it was not. At least not on my part, but simply the giving up of myself as a sacrifice to establish the grand and glorious principle that God had revealed to the world. When she bore testimony at the Temple Lot case, she said she was Joseph Smith's wife for time and for eternity. Are you comfortable with what has happened? As a Latter-day Saint, are you okay with this story? Sadly, after Joseph was killed in Carthage in 1844, Lucy was then sealed to Heber C. Kimball for time. They had several children, and she said, The contract when I married Mr. Kimball was that I should be his wife for time and time only. And in the resurrection, he would surrender me with my children to Joseph Smith. Do you see the sense that women and children in some way are almost property? They're almost without any choices in these matters. Brigham Young taught that no man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. As Heber lay on his deathbed, he called Lucy to his side and hoping to win favor with Joseph Smith, asked her, what can you tell Joseph when you meet him? Can you not say that I have been kind to you as it was possible to be under the circumstances? I know you can, and am confident you will be a mediator between me and Joseph. Let me say, there's no doubt here that these early members had burning testimonies of the gospel of Jesus Christ, had burning testimonies of Joseph Smith as prophet, seer, and revelators, had burning testimonies of polygamy. So I get it. From one point, I think the apologist would admit, if you take the spiritual experience out of, out of these instances, these, these historical events, then it doesn't look good. The data would say that there is abuse and unhealthiness happening, but they would say, but we can't take these experiences out. Here's their testimony. Here's what they believe. Here's what they thought. And on the other hand, the argument is that you cannot call these spiritual experiences reliable for the very reason that the audio of that Manti breakoff group points out, which is that when people are within a religious paradigm and they hold an ethnocentric view, they will get the confirming answers that they are looking for within that religious paradigm. If you don't believe that audio I shared earlier, then let me share others and let's set it up with this teaching from our faith. While I was laboring under the extreme difficulties caused by the contest of these parties of religionists, I was one day reading the epistle of James, first chapter and fifth verse, which reads, If any of you lack wisdom, 
Let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. The best way of finding truth is simply go to the origin of all truth and ask. So the stage has been set. If you just go to the source, go to God, ask him, plead with him, seek answers from him who has created you, then you will get answers directly from God and those you can trust. Except that lots of people get answers like that, answers just like this, a member of Judaism. I started to have a very strong feeling of missing something and seeking something, and at the same time noticing that he sees the world in a different way. It really had such a profound impact on me that I started to do a lot of reading and very quickly reading about Judaism. The pieces started to fall together where I just felt like I had found my way home. I have a very short answer to people who ask me, why on earth would you want to convert you know, to Orthodox Judaism? And I say, because God told me to. Another member of Orthodox Judaism. Having converted not once, but twice, first to Reform and then to Orthodox Judaism, Rabbi Shmuley Yanklovitz is something of an expert on conversions. Both of my conversions were incredibly intense and transformative. And in my experience as a rabbi, this is the norm. A member of the Catholic faith. And a friend of mine who was praying for me at that moment said he sensed Mother Mary came to me, took pity on me, and asked her son to save me. And I knew after that that the cancer was gone, that I should sin no more. And shortly after that, I knew I was called to join the Catholic Church, a church I'd never stepped foot in. Jim Jones of the People's Temple. So we were doing that meditation, myself and five other friends, and all of a sudden I felt this explosion of energy go up my spine from behind. It was just like, bang. Then I turned around and I saw this picture. And I said, who is that? She goes, oh, that's Papa Jim. He's the most loving man I've ever met in my life. And so I knew that, that I had to find Jim Jones and People's Temple. A member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Finally, at one point, I surrendered. I said, okay, God, I want you. I want truth more than I want this world. And once I made that choice, I made that surrender, all the turmoil, all the struggle, everything lifted. I had no idea of the cross. I really had no idea what Jesus Christ had done for me. No idea of the plan of salvation. All I knew was I came face to face with God and he told me this is what I had to do. And once I made the choice, I didn't have a qualm. I didn't have a doubt. This one is a Wiccan. I'm surprised, I surprised myself. I realized at such a young age that I was able to put together and realize that there was something more out there that this website or this book or this topic there's more to it. And I remember there was, a, there was like a voice in my head, you know, and I realized it was probably just the God and the Goddess or the universe trying to tell me, keep going, you're almost there, you got it, just, you've, you've hit the mark, you need to just keep digging, you know? Another Wiccan. About it, and it's just been such a spiritual journey for me. Um, I love it. I love every single bit of information I read about it. There's not one thing that I've read that I'm like, oh, that I wouldn't do that, or that's not how I feel about it. Um, 
I, I love everything about Wicca and about witchcraft. And I really, really feel like this is my path, my calling in life. A Jehovah's Witness. When I went to a kingdom hall, I could feel the love and sincerity and warmth of everyone in there right away. And it put me at ease. Jehovah's done so much for me personally. I want to help as many people benefit from that same relationship with our God. Four or five members of Scientology. Every day I studied, it was like drinking from the cup of knowledge, and I just became more powerful as a spiritual being. I just have amazing knowledge and a viewpoint that is 360 degrees, and it just stretches from here to eternity. I have a firm foundation that I don't waver from because I know exactly what I know. You just sit there with that and go, I am one of the most lucky, fortunate beings in the entire universe. There's nothing like that. It works, period. It really will change your life, and it will make the lives of those around you that much better. It's extraordinary. After I got all the physical stuff handled, then I still had all this, like, worry and concern with it, and so I went and I got Dianetics to address it. It's not a problem anymore. There's no pain. There's no... I'm not concerned about it. I play basketball all the time. I run. I mean... It's almost as if nothing ever happened. It, it is because of Dianetics, and that's, I know that. Uh, both my parents. A member of the Buddhist tradition. Uh, before their trek, actually uh, made a prayer to, to Buddha um, just to keep their family safe and um, to make sure that um, they, they were successful in their, in their escape, um, which, which I think gave them strength and courage to move forward and to really just find a better a better life for their family. Followers of A.J. Miller, who teaches that he is the reincarnated Jesus Christ. He's a, a bringer of truth. I feel that he is the Messiah. He's the messenger of God's truth um, to help us wake up. Yes, he is. He is Jesus. And you just discovered that? I've only discovered that, yes, since I've been on this path. Through AJ's teachings, um, that's how we come to God. I have memories of being at the crucifixion. I remember being there and just the intense feeling of some my soul made someone I feel very connected to suffering immensely. Um, Although I feel I suffered more than he did. but just because of the development in love that he had at that time. But for myself, it was excruciating to watch basically the annihilation of the person that I love the most. (laughs) Whenever I think about him now, I just cry. I'm starting to have a a soul, like an emotional realisation of who he is. It's just it's overwhelming because <laughs> I know that only God can save me, but at the moment I feel that you know, he's saved me through his teachings and his truth and love that I haven't experienced through anyone else. Here is a believer in Krishna. And I remember my teacher told me to cry, but I tried to cry. It was not happening. Tears were not coming out. And I started my heart. Still tears were not there. 
and I started to uh, to pray. Now prayers went on. I said, please, I don't have any shelter. Please help. Where I will go if this book won't answer to my questions? Please, Prabhupada, please. And in that moment, these tears fell off, and I felt that prayers, power, and Shilpurpada's mercy, I couldn't feel it. So something happened that I prayed nicely, and I was satisfied. Here's another person who's a member of a break-off of the LDS Church. I found an archive called the Mantina Archives, and contained within it was a book called the Book of Haggath, and it felt whole and building in it, testified of Jesus Christ. It says in the in the preface that I should ask God if it's from Him, pray about it, and He would tell me if it's true. I prayed about it, and I um, received a confirmatory feeling, just like I had felt with the Book of Mormon, that the Book of Haggai is good and true and valuable, just like the Book of Mormon. I couldn't distinguish that feeling from anything else that I had felt previously. It was a spiritual confirmation. And I remember kneeling down in my living room and just... Crying. A couple members of the Islam faith. Make a supplication, Allah help me, guide me, guide me to the truth. If you guide me to the truth, I'll never leave it. And I knew in my heart, Allah was telling me in my heart that Islam, this is, this, this is true, you know. And I knew right there it was the correct religion. And at that point, I had this feeling of, um, of just peace. Just, uh, that's how I describe it, like peace with everywhere, within me, the outside. Uh, <laughs> it gets me a bit now, but I had this, it was completely different feeling for me, and, and, and it's changed my life since that day, and, and, I, and I've never looked back since. I started praying to really, to find the truth. It didn't take a long time to, to find out that Islam is the truth, and that there can't be any other religion in the world. I said, please. God, you are the one who listens, who always listens. Please, who do I have to follow to come to you direct? Christianity or the Muslims? I was 100% sure that God has answered my question. What is the right way, the only right way to come to God? Islam. Members of the group Heaven's Gate. And I knew, my soul knew, that... um, it is what I've been searching for a long time, and um, I knew it even before I read it. When I got those statements, I just couldn't stop reading, because I knew. And ever since I've been in the class, there's never been a doubt. Like when I first met them, I knew that I, what they had to say was true. It wasn't something they said, it was something that I knew inside me. I felt. Uh, it was like a recognition. It was instant recognition for me, and there was never a doubt in my mind. I just wish that people out there could understand how much we feel and know this is real. This is not a fantasy. I know. I didn't have to believe. I knew. Again, I'm not saying that there's no God, and I'm not saying that God doesn't answer us. But we need to be really careful how we interpret those answers and assume that Because God gives us a spiritual response within a particular religious paradigm does not necessitate that that answer means that religious paradigm is true or what you're being asked to pray about is true. Uh, John Ogden talks at length about how the Holy Ghost seems to not be real effective at giving somebody the truth of a data point 
but rather bearing testimony of beauty and goodness. And I think when we begin to kind of wrap our heads around that, we're on safer ground. So you look at all of these people who have spiritual experiences in their religious paradigms, and you say, like, why is my experience more valid than theirs? Like, why is an LDS testimony more valid? And that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Like, like, could you give words to that? Could you articulate what that looks like on, looks like on a rubber meets the road kind of way? And, and I don't think most people can. So if everybody who seeks spiritual experiences, who exist in a religious paradigm that encourages them to have spiritual experiences and they have spiritual experiences, then, then what makes those people deceived and what makes us have certainty that our answers are true? And hopefully through this episode, you begin to see the power that, that when you, when you're in a religious paradigm, when you want that religious paradigm to be true, when you're seeking answers, when you, when you, uh, when your approach involves anxiety and tension and a need to know and you're, and you're at a loss of sleep, like those answers, you can believe them or not believe them. It doesn't matter. My, my point would be, that it's not fair to impose that answer as true and to give space for the science here, the data that shows that when we deprive people of sleep, when we give people an abundance of stress, when we put somebody in a religious paradigm and they really want that paradigm to be true, like answers come and those answers do not, demonstrably do not have anything to do with the truth of that paradigm. And now we go back to Lucy Walker. And, and we say like, in light of all religions having spiritual experiences and their members seeking answers from God and their members getting them and those answers in multitude of ways being absolutely contradictory to the truth of Mormonism, we're left to ask like, did Lucy Walker get a revelation from God or did she simply feel the pressure of the moment and her brain gave her the response that that science says was most likely to occur under that situation of stress, anxiety, a need to know in a religious paradigm and sleep deprived. And I hope I'm making sense, but I want to wrap up with a secondary thought. And it, it is this, let's pretend for just a moment that Lucy Walker got a real revelation from God. The question is, What kind of God does that leave us with? And here's what I mean. The prophet Joseph Smith sees Lucy's mother pass away. Let's, let's first, let's assume this. Let's assume Joseph lied. Joseph simply wanted to have intimacy with Lucy Walker and he simply was dishonest about God telling him something and him imposing it on Lucy and Lucy gets a psychological experience that she calls and interprets as a revelation from God, then that leaves with the, with the question of what kind of prophet is Joseph Smith. But on the other side of that coin, if, if Lucy's mother dies and Joseph out of his love and sincerity to help their family takes these four oldest kids into their home, takes care of them as his own children, and refers to these girls as his daughters, then what kind of God goes to his servant 
and changes a relationship that is now a parent-child relationship and commands his prophet to turn it into a husband-wife relationship. So we're left with the question of what kind of God would do that. And so I almost feel like in this situation that I'm between a rock and a hard place, that I either have to throw Joseph Smith under the bus or I have to throw God under the bus. And which one is it going to be? And then when you look at Joseph's history with polygamy, it is heart-wrenching because he gets Fanny Alger in 1833. She is a maid serving in the Joseph Smith home. She is 16 years old, and Joseph has some kind of relationship with her. And some of the data points to it being an affair. A little bit of the data points to it being a ceiling. But either way, Joseph is approaching a 16-year-old young lady who works in his house. He does not tell Emma about the relationship, and he enters this relationship with a 16-year-old girl. Emma says she saw the two of them alone in the barn and saw the whole transaction, and Oliver Cowdery swore that it was a affair. Then you have the Partridge sisters, who again are living in Joseph Smith's home. They are a little older, 18, 19, 21, living in the Smith home, and unbeknownst to Emma, Joseph enters what he deems a plural marriage with the two of them. And then you have Lucy Walker, who is adopted in a sense, into the Smith home. He treats her and and thinks of her and refers to her as his daughter. He promises her father he will take care of her and care for her as his own children. And then he enters a plural marriage with her. At the end of the day, we as a Latter-day, we as Latter-day Saints, we as a Mormon institution, we're going to have to deal with polygamy. And we're either going to have to wash our hands of it, or we're going to keep holding with a death grip to data that points to something really unhealthy happening. For the sake of my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, I'm hoping that Mormonism can choose to look and find ways to be healthier and can let go of some of this, these, this, these uh, ideas and concepts that point to something really unhealthy going on in Mormonism. It's my hope that we're willing to wrestle with this and to ask ourselves like, what spiritual experiences are real and which ones aren't? And how do we decipher that? How do we discern that? And even within our faith, with race and priesthood, with Adam God, with with uh, birth control and cremation and, and tons of other issues, we've taught one thing at one time, imposing it as true doctrine, only to later on alter it and change it and sometimes 180 degrees go against it and declare it false doctrine and disavowed theories. How do we discern the answers that come from God? That question is worth the wrestle. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Taking out my issues never healed the 